Welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host, Justin Baker, joining me this evening. It is, what, Thursday? It's Thursday, May the 3rd. We're recording this at about 6 p.m. So uh, any of the games that are happening a little bit later, the the Pittsburgh-Washington, Winnipeg-Nashville, we're just going to leave those two series alone because we don't know what's going on, uh, and, and you will when you're listening to this. So we're mainly on today's show. We're going to focus on Tampa Bay and Boston, particularly some suspe- or, uh, yeah, some some things going on in that that series in terms of uh, man, Boston just falling apart the last couple games, and then San Jose and Vegas. San Jose pulling tied two two uh, after you know it looked like Vegas was just going to to have another. Another lucky series, uh, not lucky, but that they were they were going to roll. But San Jose has really pulled things together, tied it up two to two. So let's just dive right in and uh, let's start with the Tampa Boston series. Uh, first impressions so far, especially from uh, from Game Three. What what are you seeing out there? Uh, honestly, I think the biggest takeaway for me is Tampa doesn't look to be as intimidated by Boston's top line anymore. They're, they're, they're rolling out different lines against them a lot and not really, I, I don't want to say as concerned, but it almost seems like they don't have to get that matchup and have to have Braden point out there every single time, you know, Bergeron and uh, Pasternak are on the ice. Yeah, and that's definitely due to the fact that their defensemen are – significantly better than like the team they played in the previous round, Toronto, whereas Toronto was really just trying to match the forward lines because their defensive lines weren't as strong. Tampa Bay, not as worried because they either have Hedman or McDonough out there about 45 minutes of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's not a, not a bad problem to have, to be quite honest. I mean, <laughs> those two guys are, I could easily be, you know, like I've said before, top 10 in the league, both of those guys. So, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, uh, you don't have to look for, I mean, McDonough, who you're not expecting to get a lot of points out of I mean, He, he has five assists in these playoffs. I mean, five assists in seven games. So that's, uh, or eight games. That's, that's pretty good for a guy who's not a huge points guy. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, of course, finally, Steven Stamkos <laughs> is scores, only his second goal of the playoffs. So Tampa Bay doing all this really without Stamkos at least scoring. Um, it's mainly been that Palat and Johnson line. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd. I don't I don't know if it's more or less to the fact that maybe Stamkos is struggling a bit, or maybe do you think you know maybe Boston's doing a better job of shutting that line down a lot more? Yeah, and I do think there is a concerted effort on. Um, Boston, I think that they want to match up against that line. I, I don't think Boston has any problem having Bergeron out there against Stamkos and Kucherov. So I, I think that, you know, they, they think that they can keep possession from that line, which is exactly what you have to do in order to beat Tampa. But it hasn't mm-hmm. mattered because Tampa's depth at forward is ridiculous. And even though Boston seems to have some decent depth at forward, Rick Nash, that trade is, I think at this point you're looking at that and going, ah, dang it. We shouldn't have done it. We took the bait. We're we're a, <laughs> another team in a long string of teams that have decided to bet on one player to help us go to the final, you know, to win a Stanley Cup. 
And it rarely works, especially in the case where it's a player who, oh, maybe he just needs a scenery change to kind of pick his game back up. And it's just Rick Nash doesn't matter to me how many offensive chances you're you're producing. I mean, at some point, like I, I understand in some ways, you know, you can be snake bitten and, and goals uh, kind of come at a certain percentage. And and there, there definitely is some truth to that. You know, a guy can be can have a bad 20 games where or a 20 game stretch where goals aren't going in, but they're still playing well. That's all mm-hmm. well and good. But there is some level of you, you just have to you just have to do it like I don't care how many scoring chances you produce. You have to score eventually. And so that, right. that to I mean, me is they a, gave up a, a big piece with Spooner to get him along with the picks. And I mean, you have to, you have to show up when you're giving up so much to get a, bring in a guy who you think, especially, you know, being a free agent after, after this, you know, run is, he has to produce something. Yeah. And you know, his, his name, interestingly enough, is not, not out there all that much. I know that they're still playing, and so it's kind of hard to talk about a guy who's still in the midst of the playoffs. But you know, we've heard so much about obviously Tavares, obviously a Carlson, and uh, guys like a James Van Riemsdyk, but and a, and a Vander Kane. But I mean, he's uh-huh. he's got to be up there, if not higher on that list for a lot of teams, at least in name recognition for sure. And, oh yeah, and it, you know where you can. I think GMs are starting to get a little smarter about this, where just because you have a really good playoff doesn't mean that you're going to get your payday. I think the last, what well, the last really big mistake in giving a guy a crazy payday after a really great playoff was, I can't think of his name in Chicago, uh, scored, had like 19 or 20 points in the playoffs, and uh, Chicago signed him. Oh, off the top of my head, I just can't think of who... Who that is, but I mean, other guys like a David Boland, even. I mean, Boland had a really great playoff and got signed to a, a big deal. And, and it's just the list goes on and on through history is that guys have one good playoff. Uh, Vili Leno, he had a great oh, yeah. playoff with the with the Red Wings. And yep. and then, oh, and Philly. with Philadelphia, Philadelphia. And <laughs> yeah. then, and then Buffalo, of course, gave him the farm. And they were lucky enough to where they could buy him out at the end because remember that was the the lockout year came and they went okay uh-huh. all right we'll pay you your twenty eight million and and see you later. But yeah, yeah, I think that at the same time, are we still in? Are we in a position to where a player has a mediocre season and then a really bad playoff in terms of production, and some GMs aren't going to go. I mean, you had a bad, you couldn't even produce in the playoffs, and that's why we'd bring you in, right? Like, if you're going to bring in a guy like Rick Nash, who obviously is looking to win a championship, you're you're going to look at this run and go, well, I mean, there's something going on in the playoffs because he actually he he hasn't even I don't think he's produced uh, much more than a half a half a point a game in the playoffs over the course of his entire career. So I think that that's uh, we're at forty six points in ninety two games. So he's a little over half a point a game in the playoffs right now. And I I don't I don't know if that completely stops you from signing him, but I mean he just the last three years in the playoffs he is in I mean, he had five games four points, but then 12, 12 games five points, ten games five points, and that maybe just isn't enough for what you want him to do. 
No, I mean, I think I think GMs are going to be realistic about this and realize, hey, this guy is not necessarily a, a, a bona fide top six. He's he's a top nine forward now, and he can still produce, you know, come regular season, and he'll chip in every once in a while in the playoffs. But I don't think, at least going into this offseason, and especially with what we've seen in Boston, teams aren't going to expect him to put up, you know, um, you know, seven out of every ten games, you know, a points there and um you know not necessarily going back to the regular season now two teams don't expect them to put up 60 70 points anymore i think they're they're going to be very realistic and know that you know maybe he might get 30 40 points chip in you know 15 maybe 20 goals if we're really lucky um at least for the next couple of years and so i don't think you're going to see anybody pay too much money for a guy i mean i would i four million wouldn't shock me if if you're asking but um, I, I think he's more or less in that three, three and a half million dollar range on a couple of years. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. We'll just, we'll switch, we'll pull back into the series a little bit. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple things. So first off to me, Brad Marchand in game four, uh, his, he, he can play on that edge. Um, and I don't even, I don't mean an edge of, are you going to hurt a guy or are you just trying to hit a guy? Um, that's mm-hmm. that's one side of the the edge, I suppose. The other side is he's very emotional, and sometimes when you're really emotional, it can actually throw your whole team off because you're just too over the top with it. Uh, I felt that I've I've felt that in this series in particular, where the series against Toronto, uh, you know, it he was doing really well. His line was doing really well, barring a couple games in there, but. I mean, they were always producing big time, and there was really no answer for them. So I, I don't think that he had the same type of scrutiny in the first series because his line was doing so well. Now mm-hmm. his team's lose his team's lost a couple games. And I, I think that we're we're kind of all going, well, maybe we're throwing game one out the window. Uh, because it just and I, I think I said that after game one and, and after all the game ones, it's like eh, game one is kind of weird. I, I think you really find what you're going to see in the series in game two most yeah. of the time. And so when you're looking now, Tampa Bay isn't intimidated by what they're bringing. And Brad Marchand was, he's, he's taken some penalties and, and he's just kind of his antics, I think have just kind of spilled over and, and, begun to i don't know it just has a weird feel on their team where it's like everything is about brad marchand yeah i i mean a lot of times you you see that the the team sort of goes as he goes if he's producing and if he's having fun and really enjoying his game whether that means he's you know putting up points and just laughing or he's being an irritation to other players on the other team uh you know that team sort of rolls as he rolls and um you know i i noticed you know, especially in, in the first series against Toronto, you, you look at all the pressure and it, it was clearly on Toronto. You know, they still every radio or every show that I, I listen to, they they constantly talk about, you know, that 2013 series and how Toronto has to exercise those demons. So, you know, if you're Boston, especially if you're Brad Marchand, you go in there kind of like, oh, there's really no pressure. I'm going to go out have fun and I'm going to irritate the crap out of some guys like and put up some points. And now you you come into Tampa Bay and it's, you know, a little scarier team because, you know, they finished top in the East and, you know, they can roll a few more, um, you know, defensive pairs than Toronto could. And I think, you know, especially after game one, now you look at, okay, 
camp has sort of felt them out. They know what they have to do. And, you know, it could maybe be now a case, like you said, uh, you know, game four kind of had a different feel where maybe Boston's trying to to come up with different answers and they really don't have anything because they, they often are too dependent on that top line. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is something where, you know, you look at, you look at Marshawn, you look at that line and you know, when they were playing the Leafs, it looked like Boston had a lot of depth at forward. You know, you're like, Oh, Jake DeBrusque, man, this guy's going to come out of his shell here and be unreal. And Riley Nash and all, all these other players, even Rick Nash, where, you know, we're talking about him not necessarily producing points. He does have five, but, uh, he was producing a lot of offense. So his name kept being stated during the broadcast and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so it felt like he was a big part. So you're like, wow, Boston, even even when the when the top line isn't producing, you've got Krejci and you've got all these other guys. And now against Tampa Bay, it's like you've forgotten about the depth. And it's like, well, they're shutting down the big line, and now it's all done. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, it's uh, it, it almost is unfortunate that they gave up Spooner because I'd really like to see him in this series because I think that his speed – would come in handy against the lightning. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you saw the last game too, you know, now when they're, when you look at their depth and they start having to rely more on guys like Nash and Bacchus who maybe aren't as fast anymore. Um, you know, for instance, you saw Bacchus, he, his game, when, when he's not producing points, he sort of starts playing a little dirty and a little, little rougher. You know, he starts trying to, to fight guys like, I mean, who was it? I can't remember who he fought the last game, but, uh, you know, trying to spark his team the only way he really can, because he doesn't have that speed. And, you know, when you, when you start talking about a guy like Ryan Spooner, what, what a difference that guy could make, you know, being in the lineup right now, it would be, it would be interesting to see for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, uh, one more question for you in regards to the goaltending in this series. Uh, Tuka Rask, he has been okay. He's been fine. I think that Vasilevsky has, when he's been tested, he's answered the call. Uh-huh. Uh, aside from game one, I mean, game one was pretty atrocious for the Lightning. I think that <laughs> overall it was easy to go, why weren't they trying? <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's really what it looked like. And so uh, I think that with maximum effort from the rest of the team, uh, he's looked pretty good. Uh, is this so? You know, we had in the beginning of the year where we're like, "Wow, Vasilevsky is going to win the Vesna. He's unreal. Maybe now he's the best goalie in the league." Uh, to oh wow, he really slowed down to these playoffs where he's had some really good games. He's also had some games where uh, he's looked a little shaky. Has led in some soft goals. Who is Vasilevsky at this point? Um, to you, as somebody who plays goal, goalie, uh, what are you noticing in his game? I think at times, um, you know, you look at some of the some of the more veteran goaltenders, for instance, like I, I've been watching a lot of Holtby lately in these playoffs, and I notice in his game, he has a calmer demeanor about him. And, you know, Vasilevsky, he has these moments where he's almost trying too hard and trying to make too much of an effort where it ends up just kind of kind of backfiring on him. And he, he, he looks silly at times. And so I think that's why you're seeing a lot of up and down play from him. Uh, granted, he's still producing a 925 save percentage. Um, you know, and that has a lot to do with the team in front of him. And I know, you know, when you're getting good D like they have been and they've been able to shut down that, that top line of Boston, it, it definitely helps pump his numbers a little bit. But 
Um, Vasilevsky's been, in, in my opinion, he's been steady enough. Um, but he hasn't been good enough to where you think, okay, he's going to steal a game here or he's going to steal a series yet. We haven't, I haven't really seen that kind of play out of him yet. Where, whereas in, you know, round one, Braden Holpe, you know, he stole a couple games for Washington or, you know, for instance, Mark Andre Fleury basically stole a whole entire series for Vegas. So <laughs> I haven't seen that yet out of Vasilevsky. And, and on the other side of the coin too, when you look at the other, other uh, end of the ring, Tuka Rask has just been, you know, mediocre at sitting at a 907 save percentage. And he just, he hasn't instilled a lot of confidence in my opinion to where, you know, Boston's defense can, you know, make mistakes. And you're like, oh, it's cool. Rask has got it. At least from Vasilevsky, Tampa Bay makes a mistake. You're not really too worried yet. You mentioned that Vasilevsky looks like he's playing a little bit, uh, like trying to do too much. Uh, when I look at Rask, sometimes I'm thinking, dude, are you even here? Like, I understand being relaxed, but are you high? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, just I, I some of the, there's some weird giveaways and plays in around the net where he tries to play the puck and it's just, uh, sometimes he he confuses me. I'm I'm thinking you've got one guy playing too hard and another guy who's too relaxed. I mean, he's been there before. He's done this. He's been in the playoffs. So I understand, you know, having a, a cool sense about yourself, but it seems like maybe I don't know, there's there's a lack of focus at some point. And and obviously that's I mean, I don't know what's actually happening in his head. I can't tell you for sure if there's a lack of focus, but uh when a guy is making simple mistakes or the puck is just squeezing through spots that it shouldn't. I mm-hmm. think that you're going, well, I mean, we're going back to the basics here. Uh, and it's funny because I think earlier in the season, uh, that wasn't the case with him. I think that we, we were seeing a much better Tuka Rask and I don't know, maybe it's just that the personality of some guys, you know, they get under pressure and they, they, tense up and they, they try to do too much. And then maybe the other side of that is a guy's under so much pressure that he just overcompensates with relaxation. So. Yeah. That's, that's very well a possibility. I mean, like you said, I, I watched Rash play and a lot of his saves or saves he should be making. Uh, for instance, I can't even remember who scored the goal, but there was a play where it was just a simple two on one coming down the other way. And he was cheating so far over for the, the pass when he should be covering the shooter and it's just simple stuff like that. And you wonder if maybe he's just not very confident with the defense in front of him, which to me, I don't think that would be the thing, but it could be in his mind a little bit, but simple mistakes like that, you have to wonder really what's going on in the psyche of a goaltender at this point. Yeah. Uh, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see what happens in game four. Um, because ultimately it's all about game four at this point, because probably I mean, if Boston wins, then, you know, we're right back to a close series. And if Tampa goes and takes that, they're the only team left in this uh, this round who's who's got that 3-1 three, three leads. And Tampa Bay would probably be able to close it out. And I, I think, is this series a series that we called in five games? Or was that, no, I, I called no, the Pittsburgh-Washington no. one. Oh, and I'm already, yeah. I'm already wrong about that one because Washington's <laughs> up. You did it. Yay. I, I figured this game will go six or seven. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's shift gears over to the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights where the Sharks ended up with a 4 nothing win in game 
four. Uh, they they looked pretty good. Uh, Martin Jones made some top-notch saves in that game. Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, I would say for the most part, he played well, too. Uh, he, he let in four goals, but it wasn't it wasn't like those goals you were looking at him like, Mark, come on, bro, what are you doing? Uh, right. It was just one of those games San Jose had the uh, – I think San Jose was actually, funny enough, able to use their speed – to get into openings that they actually created themselves. In particular, the first goal, uh, Marcus Sorensen, which I was surprised that he has four playoff, four goals so far in the playoffs in really? uh, in what six, eight games. So that's pretty good for Sorensen. Uh, that he he got the puck and he just moved through three guys and uh, and just took one big stride around Flurry. And and put it in off the short side, and it was just a it was a move when you're watching it. You're like, oh, who is that? Could like Couture or Pavelski or something? And nope, it's Marcus Sorensen. So yeah, it fourth was, uh, liner with Eric Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, getting production out of those guys is definitely. I mean, if you're fourth line scoring, you're doing something right. Uh, and then of course Thomas Hurdle gets his, or should I say Tomash Hurdle. <laughs> Gets his fifth. I don't know where the H the H left. Like that must be why he's the T O instead of T H because it, it's silent at the end, right? So that's how it works. <laughs> um, but you have Hurdle with his fifth, and then Pavelski. Pavelski only his second goal of the playoffs. So interesting. Uh, yeah, everything kind of working for the Sharks in Game Four. Uh, but this series has just been. I, I mean, every game outside of this game has been so close, and even this game, it's not like. The Sharks were killing the Golden Knights. It just, they happened to be the ones who were scoring on their opportunities. Yeah, I, for me, this series, or at least the last game anyways, I, I had a couple takeaways. And obviously the first one you talked about already, the shutout for Martin Jones. I think, you know, the first few games in the series, he just, he let in way too many goals. Uh, did not look, I mean, while he looked okay most of the time, um, you know, you're not going to be able to beat a team like Vegas if you're letting in three, four goals a game. And so getting a shutout is definitely going to do greats for his confidence. I think, uh, and, and the team in front of him definitely needs that. Um, but secondly, for me, you know, the biggest thing about Vegas's play is they come at you in waves. I mean, they're constant pressure, just pushing, 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 trying to force you to make, you know, bad plays cause turnovers. And they're just aggressive all the time. And I think watching this last game, you know, San Jose was able to slow them down by not letting them push all the time, even though most of the time it was San Jose countering with their own speed and their own aggressiveness. But it still slowed Vegas down enough to where they didn't get as many chances as they we typically see in a lot of games. That's that's a great, uh, great analysis there. Uh, and the fact that the Sharks maybe could have played Joe Thornton and chose not to play him. Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was out. He was he was out during the warm up, and he did not. Uh, he didn't end up playing. He was a game time decision. So and I, obviously, they didn't feel good about it. But I mean, he's he's returning soon. We we know that. I mean, whether it's game five, game six, uh, I think Thornton will be back. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it, it would be it would be still. I mean, he's on a one year deal, right? So. Yeah. In in reality, at this point, what do you what are you worried about? I mean, he's 
I guess he's. I guess it's his call whether or not he's playing. <laughs> I don't know, but right. he's. Uh, you you would think that they would go. All right, we're going to put you on this fourth line. Although I guess we just talked, their fourth line is actually playing really <laughs> well, and so you maybe don't want to take out those guys, and, and maybe that's that's some of the reason that they're they're sticking with what they had, and it ended up being a good decision. Their power play has was actually pretty brutal without Thornton. And in the playoffs, it's not been bad. So I think that you're, you know, it's it's difficult to leave a guy like Thornton on the bench. Uh, but obviously, his injury is. I think if he was fully healthy, he'd be playing. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I honestly think, like for instance, you talk about that fourth line. You know, when they're scoring goals, you put a guy like Joe Thornton out there. You know. He can dish the puck, and so maybe maybe you're you're scoring a couple more goals when you have a guy like that. But I think more than anything else, when you when you need when you bring in a guy like that, you get such an emotional boost, kind of like last playoffs when they brought in, uh, you know, when Fisher and uh, you know Ryan Johansson came out pregame in the playoffs, and they they got that just that boost from having those guys show up. And I think same thing with Joe Thornton when you when you put him in that lineup, regardless if he's only going to play seven or ten minutes a night, or maybe even fifteen, eighteen. You, you're going to get a boost just from having him in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I think he'll be back game five, and that'll be it'll be good to see Joe Thornton. It, it's weird watching Sharks games with no Thornton. <laughs> it's weird. Um, yeah. Random sidebar question about Thornton: Do you think that he comes back? Oh, I, that is a very good question. First I, off, I is he going to play again? I mean, I guess that depends on this this injury. But is he going to pl- is he going to come back? And second off, will it be with the Sharks or does he go somewhere else? I think he does come back. However, I think he kind of pulls. Well, I don't want to call it a Ray Bork because he got traded, but um, you know, I think he does that Ray Bork where he goes to a you know a team on a one year deal to try to win a cup somewhere else and. Um, Dude, you know, I'm gonna Ford tell you what. Sick. Toronto would love to have him on the fourth line. Oh, are you kidding <laughs> third, me? Third line Absolutely. center. Hey, we'll we'll no Bozak, and then Thornton and Marlowe are reunited in Toronto. Go win a cup there. That would be that would be that's the type of thing like that you write in with movies that reunited, right? right. <laughs> just epic kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, Okay, is there anything you wanted to add about that series or about uh, Vegas? So we, we mostly focused on the Sharks there. but You know what? I want to know who, if if San Jose ends up winning this series, what is Vegas going to do with that 300-pound chocolate statue they have? <laughs> do they eat it or are they just going to melt it and forget it ever happened? Um, I think you have to eat it. Okay, good. <laughs> I think I think that everyone on the team should split it. And have to eat a portion every single night until the next season to remember wow. what you did. <laughs> Especially if they're allergic to dairy. Oh. Then they'll really remember what happened. That's cruel. <laughs> uh, well, do we want to uh, just kind of shoot off some some random free agent kind of stuff that uh, obviously actually there was a trade. A rather oh, yes. a rather large trade, you know. Anytime Jordan Martinuk gets traded it's uh it's big news uh so jordan martinuke going to the carolina hurricanes uh, oh man i you know i don't have the link up i can't even remember who it was for oh it was for uh kruger, marcus kruger and uh in a third marcus kruger in a third for jordan martinuke in a fourth 
that from Carolina to Arizona. Uh, interesting time of year to make that move. Uh, I think that what it shows is Arizona not opposed to adding a little bit of salary. It was a $900,000 difference in their salaries. Mm-hmm. And Carolina really wasn't using Kruger towards the end of the year. And so to be able to bring in a guy, I mean, Martin Nuke at least played, I think he played in 81 games last year. So, uh, and, and Arizona played pretty well down the stretch. They, they were actually one of the, one of the yeah. like top, I think top, the seventh or eighth best team in the West down the stretch. So uh, it, I think they're going to be better than what they showed early. I mean, they had like a historically bad start to the season. Yes. And then they, they really picked it up uh, towards the end once they were healthy it's amazing what health will do for you. Um, having all your defensemen <laughs> is the biggest thing. Um, do we want to uh, talk a little bit just uh, about, what, a couple free agents? John Tavares, are, I, have you heard anything new about Tavares, where he may go? Uh, I know obviously the Leafs are on there and then the Islanders. and uh, the, I've, I've been hearing the Red Wings quite a bit. Interesting. See, for me, when you, when you talk about the Red Wings, I'm more or less curious about how they plan on dumping salary to bring a guy like him on because you know you have to figure what he's going to get 12 million probably at least um I, I i don't see the red wings being a player just because i don't think they have the ability to move unless they can pull off another miracle let's let's dump off you know Danzuk's contract to to phoenix or arizona whatever yeah um, what's what's detroit going to do first off Andreas Anthonisiu. Now, last year there was a, you know, he was there was a holdout. Yep. And he ended up signing for 1.3875 for that one season. And now we're basically right back where we were again, except he's now arbitration eligible. So he can yeah. just go, I'm going to arbitration and uh yeah. Yeah, I you know what? I honestly think that you're going to I mean I guess I shouldn't say I honestly think because I know Detroit wants to keep him, but in my mind, I think the best solution is to move him now while he still has value because he's young, he's super fast, and he does have a scoring touch. I think the biggest complaint about him is his consistency. You know, he's up and down throughout the year, um, but maybe a change change of scenery, you know, fixes that. Um, to me, I think you move him to a team like, you know, for instance, off the top of my head, Carolina, that has an, you know, that has extra defensemen to burn. And you try to plug out one of their guys and bring them over because, let's face it, Detroit's biggest issue is their defense is terrible. Yeah, they're and they're not getting any – I mean, let's look at the age. Yeah, Mike Green, well, he's a free agent. He may mm-hmm. be back, but if he is, he's he's 32 years old right now. Uh, right. Cron- Cronwall's 37. Erickson's 34. Daly's 34. And – De Kaiser twenty eight. So, De Kaiser right. is is the youngin on that decor, right. and he's twenty eight years old. I guess Wallet's yeah. twenty four, but right. And outside of Mike Green last year, the Red Wings had no puck movers. They looked slow on defense most of the time. I mean, you know, Nick Jensen and De Kaiser have a little bit of speed, but um, you know, when you get to guys like Erickson, Cronwall. And daily, they they don't move at the same pace they used to, and it's a it's a fast man's game. And you know, I I, I don't see 
a place for especially a guy like Jonathan Erickson. I think he's absolutely worthless in my book. You can get rid of him. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. Just buy him out at this point. I, I wish they would, but I guess they figure they're going to be bad. They might as well be bad. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, yes. John Tavares. I mean, they, they technically have the cap space. I mean, they have 15 million in cap space, but they need to resign Larkin, Anthony, see you. And, mm-hmm. uh, Along with Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi and Martin Furk, yep. if they want to, if they want to, uh, and they need a backup goaltender. Yes, and they need another defenseman because their six million dollar a year defenseman just left, or right. or or he's going to resign. Which I guess you're probably giving him the same amount. He's probably looking for around six, especially if he's going to take a, a short deal, like a two or three year deal. He's getting six. Yeah, rumors the Wings want him at uh, five mil for two to three years right now. So. I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> Just like they wanted Anthony to see you at what was it? They they oh. like were willing to just let him sit because he wanted one point was it he wanted like 1.5 or 7 or something like that. It was a difference of like $400,000. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. If I were him, I would be I'd go I'm going to arbitration right now. I mean, he's Yeah. I, I mean, he's probably not getting more than two in arbitration, I guess. But I think maybe if you're him, you're just looking for a change of scenery because it just it, that was awkward. I felt like it was it was strange, and I thought maybe if Ken Holland had left, there could have been a reevaluation of who he was to the team. But with Ken Holland still there now, I mean, it's just you're. I think you're probably going to just cut your losses and he's going to ask to maybe he won't verb like publicly ask to be traded, but it would make sense to me if, if he was right. Okay. Uh, anything else that you want to hit on before we, before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think, uh, I, I'm kind of excited to see uh, the world championships kick off here to, yes. tonight or yes. tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning. Yes. Friday, yeah. 10 AM, the U S play Canada. That game will be that game's on NHL Network, so uh, you can tune in for that. I think I'll be watching that game. I'll pull it up on my computer while I work a little bit. Okay. Uh, Canada definitely has a has a roster this year, though. I mean, their top two centers are uh, they have Bo Horvat. They also have Matt Barzell, and then oh Connor McDavid. Oh, and <laughs> oh. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So and Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> oh yeah, and Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> so. It's this is uh, outside of Connor McDavid. This is Canada's D squad, and they're still unreal. <laughs> right, but their only weak spot, if you look at it, is they've got Darcy Kemper, who was who wasn't bad last year, and Curtis McElhaney, who uh, you know, I mean, he's all a, things yeah, considered, he's, yeah, he's he's a backup goalie. Yeah, yeah, it'll. I mean, goaltending in the in the. When your defense and your, the rest of your team in front of you is so good, <laughs> right. sometimes doesn't matter nearly as much um, as we're uh, seeing yeah. in Tampa Bay. So, all right. Well, that is our show for today. Tune back in tomorrow. We'll have another one for you talking about what uh, what happened in those other series, the Pittsburgh-Washington and the, uh, the Winnipeg-Minnesota one. Can't wait to talk about that one. And... Uh, did you say Minnesota? <laughs> yeah, I did say Minnesota, and I, I did not mean Minnesota. You're right. I meant Nashville. I'm very sorry. Um, yes. Minnesota, maybe I just want Minnesota. Maybe I want them in there. Wow. Uh, 
anyways, when we talk Nashville, Winnipeg, I will, uh, I'll be sure to know who's on what team. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. That's, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And you can hit us up on Twitter at OT hockey talk. And, uh, we'd love to chat with you on there and you can go to overtime. Oh, well, OT hockey talk.com for more of our podcasts. We'll talk to you soon.